Welcome to the Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. So, the patriarch Abraham wants to upgrade his PC to Windows 95. Isaac, his son, is incredulous. Pop, he says, you can't run Windows 95 on your old, slow 386. Everyone knows that you need at least a fast 486 with a minimum of 16 megs of memory in order to multitask effectively with Windows 95. But Abraham the man of faith, gazed calmly at his son and replied, God will supply the ram, my son. Wah, wah, wah. Okay, enough of these shenanigans. We've got a longer show today featuring return writer Justin Lowmaster from episode 5, Send In. This month's story, Flood of Terror, was originally featured in the short story compilation, A Voice in the Wilderness, edited by Winston Crutchfield and published by Critical Press Media. Justin Lowmaster is a writer and entertainer. Aside from writing science fiction, fantasy, horror, and humor, he also cracks jokes and makes bad puns. He is married and has one daughter and one son, and no cats. He and his family live in the great Northwest. He enjoys gaming of all types, including computer, console, board, card, and role-playing games. You can find his work over at thespaceturtle.com, follow him on Twitter at chivalrybean, and you can grab a free copy of today's story for various e-readers over at criticalpressmedia.com and also find information on how to get a physical copy there. Just head over to our show notes for all the details. So now, with much prayer for Justin Lowmaster's catless life, the Untold Podcast is proud to present Flood of Terror by Justin Lowmaster. Charles got out from his car martial arts gi draped over his arm and opened the mailbox. Amid the sales ads and the offers for maid services he could never afford, a plain envelope stood out. The address was handwritten, as was the return address. It was from Isaac Walters. Haven't heard from him in ages. Once Charles was sure that there was no other mail of importance, he deposited the rest in the recycle bin and started opening the envelope, tearing along the short end and extracting the paper. He read as he approached the door to the house. Dear Charles, I regret that I haven't contacted you in a long time, and when I do, I am asking for something. I have been unwell for about three weeks now, have gotten worse, and am now in the hospital. I fear for my flock, and was hoping you could take some time in shepherding for me while I recover. There aren't many in attendance these days, but there are a few faithful. I fear that some power of darkness has taken root in our town but perhaps I am just overreacting to the changes in society, and am only sensing it strongly because of the small community in which I reside. The doctors say I should be recovered in two weeks or so. If you could come and tend the church for a time, I would be eternally grateful. There is a small place to stay on the church grounds, my house. It should have anything you might need. Please send word soon. Your friend and brother in Christ, Isaac Walters. Charles realized he was standing in front of the door and folded the letter back up and went inside. Crystal hadn't come home from work yet, so he sat and contemplated on the couch. God, it's been a while since I shepherded anyone. Is this what you would have for me? He leaned back into the couch and rubbed his hands over his face. Then slowly, his eyes fell shut. 
Charles stood in the rain, clouds of darkness rolling into the sky from a crack in the ground. The water rose higher and higher. It was up to his chest and the current was pulling at him with cold fingers. A hooded figure rose out of the water and pointed at him through the gloom. The figure raised his other hand, palm up, and the waters raged higher. Charles struggled in the water as it began to wrap around him. He tried to twist free of the water's grasp, striking it with his hands, his blows useless against the relentless current. The front door shut and woke him. There was the sound of grocery bags and glass jars setting on the counter. Then she came around the corner. Hey, honey, were you sleeping? Charles sat up in the chair and rubbed his eyes and found the letter still in his hands. Yeah, I, I guess I was. He looked out the windows at the sun-filled lawn, set down the letter, and rubbed his hand down his face. What a dream. How are you, Crystal? She came over and they embraced. Then she picked up the letter. What's this? It's from Isaac over in Weston. Oh, how is he? Not too good, I guess. Crystal sat on the couch, putting down the letter. Oh, what's wrong? Don't know, he didn't say, but Crystal looked at Charles expectantly. He wants me to preach at his church while he recovers. Crystal smiled. Well, are you going to? Charles failed to suppress a scowl. If they let me. Crystal tilted her head and smiled slightly, resting her hand on Charles' leg. You know that it isn't because of you that the congregation pushed us away. They didn't want to hear the truth. Charles slumped in the chair. I know, it's still disheartening. Like an Old Testament prophet when the people wouldn't listen. Charles stared at the letter beside him, then nodded. A lot like that. After a moment, Crystal stood. How about some spaghetti? I'm going to make meatballs. Charles smiled. I'll start boiling the water. Later, Charles twisted the noodles into his fork. Did you want to go with me? Or you could visit your sister like you've been wanting. Crystal chewed her noodles. What would you prefer? Well, Isaac said there was a little place for me to stay. Didn't sound very big. How long will you be gone? Charles took a sip of water. Well, he didn't say, but it sounded like he was getting better. He stuck his fork into a meatball. With not knowing what's going on, you should probably visit your sister now, in case it's a lot harder to get away later. Crystal tilted her head to the side. Hard to get away? What do you mean? I mean harder to visit your sister, in case we have to move, if I get a new job. Crystal laughed, with only a hint of mirth. Oh, I thought you meant you'd be stuck in Weston. Crystal touched Charles' hand. Are you sure you'll be okay by yourself? Charles smiled. Yeah, I'm sure. God won't give me any more than I can bear, right? Charles saw the sign, Welcome to Weston, population 10,213, and pulled over to get out his map. He'd love to go green and not print them out, but that meant investing his already strained resources in a more expensive phone. Once he memorized the three turns to get to the church, he pulled out his cell phone and started to call Crystal, who was probably already up in the air on Southwest Airlines, but the battery meter blinked, almost out of charge. Nuts! He checked for oncoming cars, and seeing none, pulled back onto the road. After a few minutes, he parked near the church and saw that the church was wooden and in need of a new coat of paint 
and the parsonage stood behind it in similar condition. A man with a graying beard stepped out of the front doors of the church and waved. Charles got out of the car as the man walked up to it. You must be Charles. I'm Nicholas Jones. Call me Nick. Isaac said you'd be coming. How is Isaac? He's still in the hospital. Would you like to see him later, once I've shown you around? Charles pulled his bag out of the car and closed the door. That'd be great. Are you part of the church staff? Nick gestured at the church grounds. I'm the groundskeeper. Otherwise, it's just Isaac. It's a very small church. Charles nodded. Seems so. Nick pointed to the small parsonage. That's where you'll be staying. Let me get your bag? Sure, thanks. How many people show up on Sundays? Nick pulled the beginnings of a weed from the gravel walkway. Well, used to be around a hundred, but lately it's been fifty or less. Since Isaac's got sick? Even before. New church open up? You could say that. Nick pushed the door open and walked in, sitting the bag down in the small kitchen. It's not much, but the fridge is stocked, and there's even internet. Charles dug in his bag. Gotta charge my phone, just gotta find the charger. He dug around some more. Then his shoulders slumped. I think I left it at home. Sorry to hear that, but the general store might have a charger. Bedroom is there, bathroom is connected, and the sitting room is there. Charles stuffed the loose items back into his bag. Yeah, thanks. Charles followed the directions Nick had given him to the general store, avoiding some construction vehicles. Charles wasn't surprised that none of the big box stores were in Weston, but the fact that the biggest store was named General Store didn't give him much hope of finding what he wanted. When he walked in, however, he was greeted with a store that was a bit more modern than he had expected. He felt a little silly when he saw a stand with DVDs near the section of electronics. The woman behind the singular counter waved at him. Welcome. I'm Marcy. How can I help you? He walked up and held out his phone. Good to meet you, Marcy. I left my charger at home and I wondered if you had one in stock. She smiled. I probably do. I have all the latest ones in stock. Let me see that. Charles handed her the phone. She looked around the edges. Her brow wrinkled a bit. Oh, is this it? She pointed to a wide socket on the bottom of the phone. Charles nodded. She handed him back the phone. We don't have that kind anymore. Everything uses standard USB cords, except for iPhones, of course. That's still USB, obviously, but they want to prevent filling the landfills with cords when people change phones. Sorry I'm rambling. I can order you one, maybe, but it'll take a few days. Charles looked at his phone, frowning. <sighs> well, I guess it can't hurt to have a spare. Can you let me know when it's in? Sure. What's your phone number? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. How can I contact you? I'm staying at the Western Christian Church. I don't know the number yet. I just got into town. She smiled. It's okay. I'll look it up. If I can't find it, I'll let you know, okay? Charles grinned. You can just tell me on Sunday if you want. The door jingled behind Charles, and Marcy's smile faltered. Charles held up his hands. Sorry, no, no offense. She shook her head. No, it's not that. She nodded to someone behind Charles. He turned and saw a man wearing a black robe walking toward them. The black-robed man raised up his hands and spoke. Soon the waters will rise, and soon the miracle of the deep will rise to meet us. Even you, Charles, who is blinded by the cross, will see the truth of the deep when the seas overcome the lands, and the Great One will rise again. 
Marcy started to speak, but the man continued, Despair the land and embrace the deep. From the stars will come they who will seed the waters with new life, and the earth will be reborn anew in the floods of their love. Turn from your foolish ways, turn to the waters, and live life anew. Charles had trouble looking into the man's eyes, even though they were not covered. He couldn't focus on them. How do you know my name? The deep tells those loyal to it many things. Leave now, Charles. Flee from here. Your faith is useless and will matter not here. The tides of glory will come, and you are powerless to stop them. The man turned and walked out of the store. Marcy sighed. That guy's a freak. He's been going around the town for last three or four weeks. What's crazy is people listen. I don't get it. Charles shook his head. Maybe he's related to that guy with the sign who keeps predicting the end of the world. Marcy peered out the window. What guy? Oh, you know, there's always a guy with a sign. Marcy shrugged. Ah, yeah. That was creepy, though, how he knew who you were. And his eyes, he must be on something really trippy. Charles shuddered as he recalled the eyes. They stuck in his memory and would not leave it. On his way out of the store, he saw a flyer for a meeting of the Church of the Rising Sea. The prophet had posted on the light pole for the next night. One of the City Works trucks pulled away from the work site, revealing a large rift in the street. One of the workers who was leaning against the store drinking a Dr. Pepper saw him staring and walked up to Charles and pointed at the ruined street. Craziest thing, water main just up and exploded. Flooded the street right up. Still can't find an explanation as to why. It started to rain. Returning to the parsonage, he got onto the computer and booted it up. After what seemed to be 40 days and 40 nights, Windows 98 loaded. He clicked Internet Explorer, and the IE6 splash page loaded. Dear God, save me. This is older than my phone. Then the modem started gurgling. <laughs> Tile-up, you've got to be... He sighed. Nothing more than I can bear. Eventually, he logged into his email and sent a message to his wife detailing his safe arrival and that he was without a cell phone but would try to call her later from the church phone. The doorbell rang, and he hit send. Maybe by the time I get back, it will be done sending. Nick was at the door, ready to take Charles to the hospital to see Isaac. At the hospital, Nick led Charles to Isaac's room. On their way there, a nurse rushed past, there seemed to be a slight commotion that got louder as they approached. Nick started walking faster. Charles quickened his step to keep up. What's wrong? Nick pointed to the room with the commotion. That's Isaac's room. Once there, a nurse waved them back as the sound of a barely beating, irregular heartbeat monitor filled the room with solemn focus. The paddles discharged on Isaac's bare chest and his body jerked. The heartbeat became rhythmic and grew in strength. Everyone in the room visibly relaxed, and the nurse made notes on a chart while another read the results off a piece of equipment. A doctor came in and checked Isaac's eyes with a light. After a bit more checking, the doctor turned to Nick. He's in a coma. Not sure much yet, but I will let you know as soon as I know more. Who's this? He gestured to Charles. Charles Frederick. Isaac called me here to take over while he was recovering. The doctor nodded. I'm Dr. Murphy. We'll get him back in business as soon as we can. 
Glad to see someone here to take care of the flock. I'll be sure to let you know if anything changes. Any questions? Charles shook his head. No, thanks for watching him. I'll be praying for you and him. The doctor smiled. Of course. He shook Charles' hand and bowed out of the room. Charles sat next to Isaac and spoke to the sleeping man. Hey, it's Charles. I'm here now. But that's no excuse not to get better. I hope to talk to you soon. He held Isaac's hand and said a prayer. Then he and Nick went back to the church. Once again in the parsonage, Charles sat at the computer. The message had indeed sent. He tried to reconnect back to the internet, but it wasn't working. Try later, I guess. He decided to look instead for some sermon notes to see what he had been preaching on, and to see if he could come up with something along those lines for Sunday's message. While searching the disorganized paper on Isaac's desk, he opened a folder that had printouts from the internet and a few handwritten notes. They were concerning the cult of the rising sea. Charles was surprised at the depth of the information, and that the handwritten notes correlated the data from the different printouts in detail. The initial browsing of the notes mentioned that the cult dated back to the Philistines and centered on a god named Dagon. Charles recalled the story in the Bible when the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant and put it in their temple. The statue of Dagon continually fell over until it broke. The cult claimed it would call down some entities from the stars which would crash into the seas and cause catastrophic tidal waves. Deep impact with cultists. Further information declared that the cult members could be dangerous. Nice of Isaac to tell me. Charles sat back and pondered. If Isaac knew this stuff, why didn't he tell me? Was he trying to protect me? Or did he not have a chance? Maybe he didn't really believe it was a real threat. Do I even think it's a real threat? He thought of the dream he had had, and how much that prophet looked like the dark figure in the dream. He shuddered, and then rubbed his eyes. He was here to preach to the lost, not investigate some cult. He put the notes back in the folder and grabbed his Bible. At least I can preach something to warn people about the lies of the enemy. He opened up to Ephesians and started looking for the verses he was thinking of. Charles picked up his sermon notes and shuffled them into an organized stack and looked over the sparse congregation. Therefore, as it says in Ephesians 4, we must unify as a body in Christ. Use the gifts God has given us not just to show up at church. When we do these things, we grow up and are no longer children, tossed around by the waves and wind of every teaching by crafty and deceitful people who wish to steal you away from the loving arms of God. Whether it's society saying certain sinful lifestyles are okay, or someone with a whole new set of beliefs they are peddling, to people without a strong hold on what is truth and what is lies. He stepped away from behind the lectern. Please continue to pray for Isaac as he's recovering. See you next Sunday. Charles moved to the entrance of the church to shake the hands of the people as he left, but most everyone was already out the door before he got there and he only ended up shaking the hand of three people. He shut the door and turned around to see a woman. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize anyone else was here. She walked up to him, and he saw she had been crying. Can you help me? Please? She looked about ready to grab him and started sobbing. What's the matter? Here, let's get a seat. He gestured to the sanctuary and led her to a seat. 
Once they were sitting, he picked up a Bible from the back of the pew in front of him. What's the problem? She sniffled. My boy, my Jason, he, he joined in with that crazy priest. He's been going to those meetings and, oh, oh. She started sobbing again. Where's Jason now? He's at home, but, but he's going to the meeting tonight. I can't convince him not to go. I don't know what they do there, but it scares me. Do you want me to talk to him? Can't you do something about the meetings? The police won't. I, I asked. They said they aren't doing anything illegal. I don't know if I can stop them, but I agree that something seems wrong about them. Please, maybe you can go to the meeting and, and talk some sense into them. Someone has to stop them. She stood up. I must go. I, I have others at home to take care of. She quickly moved out of the church. Charles sat back into the pew and looked to the front of the sanctuary and rubbed his forehead, then looked to heaven. Sure didn't send me somewhere boring, did you, God? Nick was at the door. I see you met Mrs. Moore. Mother of Jason? Nick nodded. Yeah, he's a good kid. What'd she want? I saw her from the Rose Garden. She didn't look well. Charles stood aside of the door. Want to come in? Nick stepped in and closed the door and pointed to a cabinet. Tea's in there. Charles made for it. Not too subtle, are you? No, sir. I'll have Earl Grey. Charles started the kettle on the stove. She said Jason is in with that crazy prophet I met earlier at the store. Unless there's more than one. Nick shook his head. Nope. That would be old Daniel Marsh. He's something all right. Most of those who don't come here anymore either go there or were scared away by his propaganda. Nick sat at the table. Charles followed suit. People just left the church for that guy? He must be pretty convincing. Nick shook his head. Some say there are miracles happening at the meeting. If it's not simple trickery, it's certainly not holy. Isaac was looking into their cult when he got sick. Got sick? Interesting. Yeah, don't know if it's related. He's old, but tended to be healthy. Sounds like I should be careful then. Nick looked at Charles. Why would you say that? That evening, Charles made his way to the meeting of the Church of the Rising Sea. It ended up being a huge tent on the edge of town, near the edge of a copse in front of the much denser forest. He stepped from the car, shielding himself from the wind and rain with his jacket. Flashes of lightning illuminated the trees. The tent sounded full, and the service was already in full swing. He could hear the prophet ranting about the rising waters. Lightning sundered much of what the priest had to say, but Charles heard enough to unsettle him as he approached the meeting. The tent undulated in the darkness as the winds pulled at it. As he got near, two large men stepped out of the tent and stood in his way, rivers of rain pouring off their suits. You're not getting in. Charles was taken aback. I'm not worthy to know your truth? The big man on the left poked Charles in the chest. You have no business here, Jesus man. I'm pretty famous for just having gotten here less than a week ago. The man pushed his finger hard into Charles's chest, causing him to stumble back. Go back to your little church and get it ready for a flood. The time is almost here. I'll get some water wings. He turned and headed toward his car. He was unlocking his car door when he heard Mrs. Moore scream for Jason. Charles instinctively reached for his phone, still not used to it being dead. He walked off the drive and into the wet grass and away from the lights. 
He made a wide berth around the tent and sneaked up to the side where he saw a bit of light coming through. He peered in and saw what had to be over a hundred people inside. Everyone was sitting except the prophet, who was ranting about baptizing everyone tonight in the river. Nice night for outdoor baptisms, Charles muttered. Then he heard a shout, Mrs. Moore, from further into the darkness behind the tent. He trotted quickly toward the sound until he could make out some sounds of struggle. In a flash of lightning, he saw two men struggling with a woman. The wind shifted to blow towards them, and he could make out a voice crying, Let me go! Let me see my Jason! A set of lightning flashes showed a stop-motion view of the men dragging Mrs. Moore deeper into the trees. One of them shouted over the increasing wind, Let's start the baptisms early! Charles didn't want to rush in wildly, but he knew there was no time to go get help. He stalked closer in the stuttering flashes of light. He heard the sound of running water just as the three of them splashed into what had to be the river. Here goes. God help me. He ran forward as the men started to hold Mrs. Moore under the water, each holding an arm, the furthest thug holding down her head. A flash of lightning burst, and the nearest thug spotted Charles approaching. He released Mrs. Moore and turned to face Charles, who leapt into the air. The whole insanity of the situation passed through his head as he was mid-flight, a Christian pastor leaping through the air about to jump-kick a cultist. His foot neatly connected with the chest, shoving the two men together in a shower of water and cursing. Mrs. Moore thrashed in the water, gasping for air. The other thug swung wildly, but Charles ducked and struck the man straight in the gut thrice, then an uppercut to the temple. As the man tumbled, Charles redirected him backwards into the water, so he himself fell onto the bank. Having regained his footing, the remaining man rushed at Charles. A long flash of light reflected off metal. Charles saw rain shatter against the steel of a knife and sidestepped the cut. He grabbed his foe's wrist, then twisted and pulled, dislocating the shoulder of the thug, who screamed, dropping the knife which disappeared into the water. He shoved the man so he would land next to his cohort. He grabbed Mrs. Moore by the arm and started toward the shore. At first she struggled until she realized what was going on. Pastor Charles? He led Mrs. Moore, stumbling up the bank in time to see light as people streamed out of the tent and toward the river. This should be interesting. As the crowd of people made their way into the bushes, Charles moved Mrs. Moore off into the shadows. Do you have a phone with you? She nodded. Dial the police, but let me talk to them. She got her phone from her pocket and dialed. She handed it to Charles and he listened to it ring. When it picked up, he talked quietly into the phone. My name is Charles Frederick. I'm in the trees behind the Church of the Rising Sea meeting tent. I've just rescued a woman they tried to drown. We're still in danger. Please, a hand swatted the phone from his grasp. Charles shoved Mrs. Moore forward. Run! She ran. A rough hand spun him around and he slipped in the mud. Charles saw the punch coming, but wasn't able to move out of the way. The blow hit him and he slammed backwards into a tree. He saw stars despite the rain and clouds. The hand grabbed his head by the hair and dragged him back toward the water. Getting a painful glance to his right, he saw an arm hanging limply from the man dragging him. Should have made sure he was out, Charles thought. He got tossed down into the mud, and he rolled and ended up on his feet. He stood just a few yards before the Prophet and his four bodyguards, who were huge. They didn't look right either. 
Their lips reminded him of a catfish. The thug behind him spoke. He attacked us in the dark. We were going to baptize someone who was causing trouble, but because of him, she got away. The prophet eyed him with his shifting eye. No matter. His pitiful existence won't stop us now. In mere moments, the river's waters will flow and summon the starry ones. Let's begin by ridding ourselves of this menace as soon as the ritual of the rising waters is complete. Stepping out in front of the crowd, the prophet raised his hand. Remember the chant of the rising waters. Speak it now, and then we may be baptized in the waters and bring the starry ones down to earth to summon the great seas to the whole earth. The people who lined the river now chanted, and to Charles' surprise, the water of the river began to rise to a point. The prophet gestured some precise symbols in the air. Charles watched as something moved on the surface of the water. The prophet smiled. We have a special gift, a last-minute participant in the baptisms. Take him to the water! Two undulating tendrils of water burst out of the rising river and grasped Charles' legs and dragged him into the water. The cold gnawed at Charles' bones as the tendrils slid up his body. He grabbed at the tendrils. They were slimy, and his fingers purchased no hold. God help me! The people continued to chant. The things in the water grasped at Charles. The prophet raised his hands again, and he cried out, Walk into the waters! Be baptized! The crowd started slowly toward the water, still chanting. Charles shouted, Jason Moore! He saw a young man turn and look at him. Charles pointed at the thug with the broken arm. That man tried to drown your mother, but I saved her. She's gone to get help. Some of the chanters slowed. A woman ran from the darkness. Jason! Jason, my Jason! She ran to Jason, and she held him. The prophet shouted, Pay these who are weak in the faith no heed. Be reborn into new life. Walk into the waters of a new existence. More tendrils lashed from the waters, pulling those nearest to the bank, screaming into the raging waters. The handful in the water thrashed and struggled as they began to submerge. Some on the bank turned to run, while others stood in shock and horror. Charles tried to slide his fingers under the tendrils, but they were too tight. He felt himself being pulled down. He tried punching the tendril once, then looked up. The prophet was pointing at him, grinning. Some movement caught his eye, and he saw Jason and Mrs. Moore rushing towards the water. At first, Charles was mortified, but they stopped short of the water and were obviously looking for something. A bolt of lightning struck a tree near the two, splitting it asunder. Once Jason helped his mother up, he picked up a burning branch that laid in the mud, the glowing end hissing as the rain struck it. He plunged it into the waters. Charles grabbed it. At first, it crumbled as the embers and ashes fell away, but soon he had a firm hold on solid wood. Jason pulled, feet slipping, but the tendril's grip tightened, and Charles screamed as his chest popped several times as ribs cracked from the pressure. The prophet laughed. You cannot escape the hold of Dagon, Lord of the Waters. 
When the water meets the sky, the reign of man will come to an end as the true lords of Earth swim over the drowned graves of humanity. Charles stared into the eyes of the prophet. Never again will the waters become a flood and destroy all living things. The tendrils loosed him, retreating as if shocked. Jason and another who stood near him pulled Charles free of the water. Several people in the waters managed to the shore, but a few followers still remained, the waters clutching them, pulling them under, cutting their screams short. A few in the crowd pointed and shouted, You wanted that to happen to us! They rushed the prophet. Charles ran towards them. No! No! That is not the way! The four bodyguards created a wall in front of him and proceeded to wedge their way into the crowd, knocking over anyone in their way. At the bank, the prophet and the bodyguards dove into the water, swimming under the surface. Soon after, the waters receded, leaving no trace of the prophet or his men. Charles saw the world turn to a flashing red and blue, and then only black. laid in a hospital bed, next to Isaac. Isaac was awake and well. He smiled. Well, last night I just woke up and felt so much better. The doctors can't explain it. Then I heard you were here in surgery. Nick got us into the same room. Charles explained the previous day's events to an increasingly astounded Isaac. When Charles finished, Isaac sat up in his bed a little higher. Well, now I know why God told me to ask you to come. He smiled. Slumping in the chair, Charles sighed. I can't hardly believe it myself. I, I, I don't know what would have happened. I just passed out before the cops showed up. Isaac nodded. It's over now, though. We can rest easy with the prophet arrested. Charles furrowed his brow. They caught him? Isaac shrugged. I had assumed. Charles' cell phone rang on the table next to him. He reached for it instinctively, wincing at the pain. There was a sticky note wrapped into the power cord. Charles. Cable came in. Nick picked it up. Street is fixed up so you can get in easier to pay for it. Smiley face, Marcy. Charles smiled and then looked at the phone. It was Crystal. He answered, feeling relief to finally be able to talk to his wife. He put it on speakerphone because it was hard to hold his hand up to his ear. Crystal, I love you. My phone has power again. How are you? There was a crash. Crystal, Crystal, are you okay? Yeah, sorry. Thunder. I'm so glad to talk to you again. I think the signal is bad. Bad? Why? Where are you? Thunder? It's been crazy. The town water main broke, and there's a terrible rainstorm. There was another crash of thunder on the phone. Crystal? H hello? Crystal, are you there? Charles looked at Isaac. The phone only answered with the sounds of rain. And that was our story. I hope you liked it. 
Many of you listeners know that when I'm not producing the Untold Podcast, which, let's face it, is most of the time because these things only come out once a month, I'm also a pastor. And I have to tell you, all the time I get the question, what do you do during the week? Well, after this episode, I will no longer give an answer. Just the direct address to this episode. This is exactly what I do every single day. Why do you think I'm drenched all the time? Great stuff. Be sure to check out our new Twitter feed at Untold Podcast and Facebook page over at facebook.com backslash Untold Podcast. If you like this show, please blog about it, share it on social media, or listen to it with a friend. So until next time, I leave you with my favorite line from the story. The cult claimed it would call down some entities from the stars which would crash into the seas and cause catastrophic tidal waves. Deep impact, but with cultists. (laughs) 